you ever said anything you regret saying? Anybody ever do that? Ever, ever wish you hadn't said it? Um, I read a statistic this week that the average man speaks 20,000 words a year. Um, this book is 1,200 pages uh, thick. So 20,000 would be about 17 books this size every year of words men speak. Women speak 30,000 words a year. That'd be 25 books this size. That gives us ample opportunity to say the wrong thing. And many of us have taken the opportunity to say the wrong thing. And with social media, now not only can you say it, but you can type it, and then it's out forever, and you never can take it back because um, the Internet is forever. And the Bible talks about this. And so we began this session Uh, This series last week called Foolproof, and we're looking at the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs talks a lot about our words. Those who guard what they say guard their lives, but those who speak without thinking will be destroyed. What is amazing to me is that these words were written 3,000 years ago, and they're as applicable today as they were 3,000 years ago. Uh, The human condition doesn't change because we have sin in our lives, and so we make these mistakes, and uh, oftentimes with our words. Today we live in a culture where if if you're famous and you say something wrong, you can get canceled, you can get fired. This happens nearly every day. I mean, you just see story after story of somebody saying something. In fact, a lady got fired the other day for something her son had said. And so you have to really be careful with your words. And so in this series, we're noting that wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. What does God think about what we say? And I'm glad to report to you. uh, The Bible over 120 times talks about this is how you use your words. Proverbs is full of this. And so we're going to look at several of the Proverbs. But really, we can boil it down to sort of three statements. And we're going to do that today. I'm going to call this the Sermon on the Mouth. And so we're going to talk about what to do with our mouth. Number one, and... You know this, but we're going to talk about it. Think before you speak. And look what it says. Intelligent people think before they speak. What they say is then more persuasive. Think before you speak. I heard this story about this little girl. She uh, was in her granddad's lap, and you know, and, and granddad's loved that stuff, and she's little, and she said, Granddaddy, can you make the sound of a frog? And he said, what, honey? And he, make a sound of a frog. And So the granddad said, well, ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. She got so excited. She jumps out of his lap. She's dancing around. She starts singing, we're going to Disneyland. We're going to Disneyland. We're going to Disneyland. She just can't. She just screams this. And her mom comes in from the kitchen and says, honey, what are you talking about? We're going to Disneyland. Daddy said we're going to Disneyland. She said, I don't think so because I've talked to Daddy and We're not going to Disneyland. She said, yes, we are. Daddy said, when Granddaddy croaks, we're going to Disneyland. (laughs) Learning to think before we speak is really important. Look what it says here. Words can bring death or life. Talk too much, and you'll eat everything you say. You've... uh, You've done this. We've done this. We've said the wrong things. I heard a story about a guy named Kevin Miller. He used to work at Christianity Today, which is a magazine, and now he pastors a church in Chicago. Uh, He was on a flight, or he was getting ready to fly, and he was traveling with a friend, and the friend got stopped by TSA and got searched. You know, they do those random searches. And his friend happened to be the one that was selected for a random search. So uh, 
Miller is sitting there and his friend gets on and they weren't sitting together so he was kind of walking by and as he was walking by, just to be funny because preachers try to be funny sometimes, he said, why did they stop you? Was it your beady terrorist eyes or was it the explosives in your bag? Uh, A little heads up, TSA doesn't think that's funny, Uh, just so you know. So somebody overheard him say that reported it to the stewardess who reported it to the pilot. The pilot had him pulled off of the plane. He was detained. He missed that flight. In fact, they talked to him for about two or three hours, and they determined eventually that he wasn't a terrorist. But he almost lost the privilege of flying not just on that flight, but any flight because of careless words. We have to be really careful with the words that we use. Uh, The Bible says... There are consequences. It is a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider one's vows. It's so much easier to get into something than it is to get out of it. We have to take care with our words. Let me give you a couple examples. I can get into a whole lot more debt than I can pay. I mean, there are test- I bet there are testimonies in here. Uh, I can borrow more than I can pay back. Uh, I was talking to Miriam yesterday. We were, we were kind of thinking through how many places have we lived? And we've been married 30 years. We've lived in either apartments or in houses 15 different places in 30 years. That's a lot if you think about it. Uh, we've had a lot of moves. Moving doesn't you know, b- bother us because we've moved a lot. But we've had a lot of mortgages in those times. You know, We buy houses occasionally, and so we've done that. I can borrow much more than I can pay back. And you can get into trouble much easier than you can get out of trouble. You can make commitments... You can fill up your schedule much easier than you can get out of it. The other day, I, I, you all know this, I'm the uh, HOA president at my, uh, in my homeowners association, and uh, I scheduled a meeting. I scheduled it for a time I already had a meeting. I mean, I, I have two meetings a month, and I scheduled it for that very time. I mean, you can over-schedule, you can over-plan, you can over-promise, you can over-accept invitations. If you're not careful, we... we We don't think before we commit. And that's what this text is talking about. It's a trap to dedicate something rashly. You have to think before you speak. The seven most expensive words in the English language are, I now pronounce you husband and wife. I mean, you got to think before you commit. And so how do you do it? What do I do? Before I speak, what do I think about? Well, all right. number one, i got to check my motives. Here's what I've discovered about me. And it might apply to you too. I am most likely to say the wrong thing when I'm tired or when I'm mad. Those are really the two times. I kind of take note. Okay, I said this wrong. Let me analyze what happened here. Well, I was tired or I, I was mad. So, first thing, before I speak, I have to check my motives. I'm going to check my motives. The second thing is... I've got to carefully craft my words. If I'm supposed to speak, then I should say it the right way. Uh, let me give you an example. Two weeks ago, I was in Kentucky visiting my mother for July 4th weekend. Um, my daughter lives in Cincinnati, so they, we live about, uh, my mother and my daughter live about 200 miles apart from one another. Now, my daughter, who is very adventurous, my do- oldest daughter, Amaris, has decided that she's going to drive from Cincinnati to Montana, uh, and get an Airbnb and work from there for six weeks, (laughs) because it's pretty. Uh, That's her thinking. That's why she's going to go out there. So she wanted wanted a a different car. She wanted to get a new car. Her car had a lot of miles on it, so 
she decided she knew what she wanted. She had kind of contacted the dealer. And so we were going to meet up. She was going to come down from Cincinnati uh, to Georgetown, Kentucky. And I was going to come from you know, where my mother lives, Danville, to Georgetown. We were going to meet about an hour and a half, both of us. We we're going to meet. She made an appointment to, uh, to drive this car. We were going to get there on July 4th. Um, I'm almost sure we got there at 8 in the morning. So it took me a while to get there. took her a while to get there. We show up at 8. Now, this particular dealer had you know, several different branches, and so we went to the wrong place. We went to the Georgetown. We were supposed to go to Paris or something like that. And so um, they said, uh, we called, and my daughter called, and, and they said, okay, it's over here. Uh, by the time you get here, we'll have it pulled around. It'll be sitting in the front waiting for you by the time you get there. Okay, so beautiful drive, by the way. It's horse country farms and fields and beautiful fences. I mean, it's, it was a beautiful drive. We get there, and the car isn't out front. We go into the showroom. We're chatting a little bit. The guy said, yeah, we're, we're going to pull it around right now, blah, 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 blah. Twenty minutes later, they come back and inform us they sold the car the night before. Now, uh, I checked my motives about what I was going to say. Because I fell into the mad category, just so you know. I wasn't tired. Well, I was tired. It was early. So I had mad and tired. I had them both. And I had to think through, how can I craft my words to say what I want to say without being unchristian, you know? And I just expressed my disappointment. And, I said, and he said, I'm sorry. And I said, I really don't want you to be sorry, but I want you to do better. Now, we had them just where we want them. They had messed us over. I mean, they had done us wrong. They were willing to make a deal. I could hear angels singing, Hallelujah, you're going to get a deal. I mean, I, I just knew it. Would you like to know what happened? We bought a car someplace else. Because my daughter is like, Honey, we don't even have to like the car. We're going to get a deal. And evidently she cared about the car more than that. So uh, sometimes you've got to craft your words. And so... Uh, I asked her after it was over with, what do you think about what I said? You know, keep me in check. I want to make sure. She said, you were stern but fair. Like, okay, stern but fair is okay. And then you communicate with lots of affirmation. Once he explained to me, hey, this is what happened, and they had sold it, but they hadn't changed the, you know, they hadn't changed the stock in the, in the computer. And, you know, it really wasn't his fault. He's not the one that sold it. He, he's not the one that's supposed to take it out of the inventory. It really kind of wasn't his fault. So we got back to a good place. But here's what the Scripture says about our words. Careless words stab like a sword, but the words of wise people bring healing. Careless words stab like a sword. That's a really important word that we use here. Careless words. We've got to really watch... Because there are consequences, for the most part, there are consequences for the words we say. Y'all remember Dan Fouts? He used to play football. Uh, I think he played for the Chargers. Uh, he was a quarterback, and after he retired, he, he, he said, uh, he, they did an interview, and he said, I've got something I really want to say. And he said, now that I'm retired, I want to say something I've always wanted to say. All de defensive linemen are sissies. Uh, so you don't always have consequences, but most of the time there are consequences for careless words. So you have to really be careful. Think before you speak. The second thing is this. Always speak the truth. The 1010, Proverbs 1010 says, someone who holds back the truth causes trouble. Proverbs talks a lot about dishonesty 
um, lying, different kind of categories, lying or deceit or, or exaggeration. But I would say that failure to be frank with people is just as troublesome. We're, we're to be truthful with folks. There's this notion about that says you can't hurt anybody's feelings, that that's the highest goal. And I'm not for hurting people's feelings. I'm absolutely, in fact, we're going to talk about it in just a second. You speak the truth, but there's a way to do it. But the truth, there are reasons we don't talk. We don't say things to people. One is that we're just cowards. We know what we ought to say. We know we should say it. And we just, we are world-class conflict avoiders. And so a lot of times we just bail when we really should be talking. The second one is that we don't feel like we have the right to speak. Now, I'll give you an example. If, if we were to go out today and uh, you're walking out, you're going to your car or whatever, and you have toilet paper on the back of your shoe, because that happens sometimes, right? Some, occasionally that'll happen. Uh, I would say something to you. I'm your pastor. I don't want you to go out looking like that. I mean, if, if I have toilet paper on my shoe, I'd like you to tell me. I mean, uh, that's courteous, right? But not every conversation is like that. Uh, if I'm at Sam's and somebody's talking politics, and I don't agree with the politics, but I don't know those people, I'm not talking to them. That, it's not my job to insert myself into that conversation. A lot of it has to do with relationship. I've got four daughters. Miriam and I have had opportunity uh, during our lifetime to have difficult conversations with our girls. I don't enjoy that. I don't love that. Sometimes you have to have tough conversations with people. And the problem is we don't because we're cowards. Uh, sometimes we don't for a good reason because we don't have a relationship. But I want to tell you the truth. When you're in charge, sometimes you have to have difficult conversations. And you have to speak the truth. And you've heard of tooth decay. Well, I think we live in a world now where there's truth decay, where we just are really... Uh, hesitant to say the right things. But, but the Bible, again, in, in Proverbs, someone who holds back the truth causes, causes trouble. What kind of trouble? Well, if you don't tell people the truth, how are they going to know what to do? There's another verse. Let me show you this one. Oh, Mr. Rogers, I'm going to get to him. An honest answer is the sign of true friendship. Uh, intimacy and truth go together. An honest answer is the sign of true friendship. I want you to tell me the truth. Jacqueline Bay uh, is a mother, and she lives in British Columbia. She talks about a story about her son, Zachary, who was four. Zachary, one time, she's in the kitchen working, and Zachary comes in, and, and his hand is dripping, and he has his toothbrush, and he said, Mommy, what should I do? I dropped my toothbrush in the toilet. And she's like, well, okay. She puts on her hazmat suit, and uh, you know she, she takes her gloves and throws the, throws the to uh, toothbrush away, and she says, honey, we don't reach in the toilet. That's kind of dirty. It's got germs, and she washes his hands, you know, like from his elbow, like he's going into surgery, and she explains it all, wipes up the floor and all that, and uh, Zachary disappears for a minute, and, and he comes back with her toothbrush. And he said, we should throw this one away, too. It fell in the toilet four days ago. And so, uh, speaking the truth, uh, sometimes... Hurts. It really does sometimes hurt. Um, the truth can be difficult to hear. 
one of the iconic movie scenes is from A Few Good Men where uh, the character played by Tom Cruise is a lawyer and, and the character played um, by, what's his name, uh, Jack Nicholson uh, is on the stand and, and the, the lawyer says, I want the truth and, and Nicholson's character says, you can't handle the truth and sometimes it's true, we just can't handle the truth and so if you're going to be a truth teller, you have to be a truth receiver and sometimes you need people in your life that will tell you the truth. I have a sweet, loving wife who will tell me the truth. Everybody needs somebody in their life that will tell them the truth. Uh, got through with the first sermon, and she came to me, and she critiqued it a little bit. Hey, there are a couple of things here. Uh, Chris did the same thing. Uh, I accepted it well from Miriam. Chris is, is a punk. Uh, but uh, uh, it just depends on how you say it, you know. But, no, Chris is great. And look, if, if I made a mistake, I made a mistake reading a verse. I'm going to try not to make the same mistake. I've not passed that yet, have I, Chris? All right, it's coming up. I'm going to do my best not to make that same mistake. But they both pointed that out to me. I appreciate that. Because I would do it again if you don't tell me. Because I, I had in my mind the way it was reading, and I didn't read it right. You need people in your life to tell you the truth. Mr. Rogers, remember back in the day, Mr. Rogers, that's beautiful stuff. Mr. Rogers would make up these songs, and he would sing them on his show, and the notion was these songs are for our kids, but really the parents were listening too. And this song, he wrote this song called, I Like to Be Told. Listen to these words. Okay, so it's the perspective of the child. I like to be told when you're going away, when you're going to come back, and how long you'll stay. I like to be told if it's going to hurt, if it's going to be hard, if it's not going to hurt. I like to be told because I'm trying to grow, because I'm trying to learn, and I'm trying to know. I like to be told it helps me to get ready for all those things that are new. I trust you more and more each time that I'm finding those things to be true. It's not just kids that want to be told the truth. Gary Chapman wrote a book called Love is a Way of Life, and he talks about, he talks about um, uh, this woman who's dealing with some issues from her childhood, and one of the things that she's worried, uh, not worried with, but troubled by, is when she was in kindergarten, she got up one morning and they said, honey, you're not going to go to kindergarten today, you're going to have eye surgery. And they had her bag packed, and they hadn't given her a chance to prepare for it mentally, and and that still bothers her, and she's an adult woman today, but it bothered her that he didn't trust her to tell her the truth even if she was little. And then he contrasts that with the story about a granddad who had a conversation with his grandson who was going into heart surgery. And the little boy said, is it going to hurt? And, and his granddaddy said, honey, it's going to hurt a little while, and it's going to hurt a little bit, but every day you're going to get better, and it's going to hurt less and less, and that means you're getting better and better. And he prepared his grandson for what was coming up. We, we all want to be told the truth. And speaking the truth is one of the most difficult things you can do. But the Bible does it all the time. There are ways of thinking that are common. There are common, uh, especially in our society, there are common ways of thinking that run contrary to Scripture. And understand something, if the Bible says it's true, then it's true, no matter what public opinion is or common thought is. I'll give you three examples. The Bible says everyone is sinned and falls short of God's glorious standards. The, the common notion is, oh, everybody is innately good. Not so much. We all have a sin nature. We all have a tendency to gravitate to sin. That's what Scripture tells us. You can believe 
common ideas or you can believe what Scripture says. There's this idea out there, uh, follow your heart. You see it in every Disney movie. Uh, that's why I don't watch them. That's the only reason. Uh, every Disney movie, uh, follow your heart. But the Bible says, who can understand the heart? There's nothing else so deceitful. You can talk yourself into things that really are wrong. I've justified things in my mind before. My, I could follow my heart. My heart doesn't always lead me to the right place. That's what the Scripture says. People will say, if it feels good, do it. That's kind of a common idea that's out there. But Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. It's not, hey, if you want to be my follower, do whatever you want to do. It's, if you want to be my follower, you deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. This is difficult. Sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. We don't always just get to do what we want to do. We don't always just get to say what we want to say. So first we, we think before we speak, and then we speak the truth. And the third thing is uber important. If we're going to speak the truth, we speak the truth in love. What you say can mean life or death. Those who speak with care. Remember a minute ago, it was careless words cause harm. Those who speak with care will be rewarded I've seen this from both sides, honestly. I've been the one who's used words that uh, brought life, and sometimes my words have cut people. My biggest regrets in life are the times I've said something out of anger or tiredness to my wife or my kids that I wish I hadn't said. I, I, you know, you just can't take them back. Words can be forgiven, but they're not often forgotten. And so I wish... This is one of the best lessons I'm ever going to give you because you've got to speak the truth, yes, and you've got to think first, and you have to, if you're going to speak the truth, speak it in love. Some people will just spout off and they'll say, well, I'm just, I'm just candid. Well, the, the Bible has a word for that. Let me show you two verses in comparison. A fool's heart blurts out folly. What people will say, well, I'm just being candid. The Bible says that's folly. That's what fools do. That's not the way to behave. But look at the contrast. Gentle words cause life and health. And which do you want to be known for? Do you want to be the guy that uh, just says what he thinks? Or do you want to be the guy who offers gentle words that cause life and health? I read a really interesting study the other day by a, guy named, a psychologist named John Gottman. He did some research on married couples and what causes married couples to stay married. Really interesting. He found that the language that they use with one another is integral. Listen to this. Couples whose ratio of speaking words of affirmation to words of criticism are at least five to one, five positive words to everyone or more, at least five to one, had marriages that were predictive 90% successful. 90%. You want to make sure your marriage is going to last? Speak words of encouragement, not discouragement. Be overly complimentary and less critical. See, gentle words, they not only cause life and health, but they help people get better. Jesus, it says, was full of grace and truth. And Jesus wasn't always gentle with people. Sometimes he spoke firmly and sternly. To the Pharisees, he was firm because he wanted them to change. He wasn't mad at them. He wanted them to change. 
And here's something we've got to understand. To encourage someone in their sin isn't loving. It's just not. We might not want to hurt their feelings, and I absolutely get that. But we have to speak the truth in love. Jesus put it this way. Anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And this has been misunderstood. This isn't saying you don't love your family. This is saying you love your family enough to tell them the truth. When the girls got sick, when they would have a temperature, we would give them liquid Tylenol. We'd pour it in a little cup, you know. I hardly ever did this, but occasionally Miriam would be gone and she'd say, pour them, you know, this much in the little cup. And we had those little cups and we poured the Tylenol in. And it's, it tastes pretty good. I mean, it's not horrible. And the reason we did that was this. We wanted to make it as palatable as possible. We didn't give them a pill. We gave them liquid. You can drink it. You can drink something a lot easier and you can swallow it. We gave them the kind that was flavored so it didn't taste too bad. It was palatable. But we also stood there and made them drink it because they needed the medicine in their system for it to work. Uh, Janelle, our third daughter, was always a little mischievous. And so if we looked away or if we happened to walk out of the room, Janelle took forever to drink her stuff. It was, it was like pulling teeth. And so if, while we would walk out of the room, she'd pour it down the sink you know, because she didn't want it. And so we, we stopped that. We stopped walking out and we would just stand there and I would just stand there. I would say, I'm going to stand here until you drink that. Because she needed that into her system. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We don't tell them, we don't correct because we feel like we're better. We don't correct because we want to hurt. We correct because we want to encourage. In my mind, correction and encouragement are kind of the two sides of the same coin. I I correct people I love because I want them to get better and I have to be willing to accept that. One of the favorite Bible characters is a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas is found in the New Testament. He was an acquaintance and a friend of Paul's. In fact, Barnabas was his nickname. His real name was Joseph. And I don't know if you do a word study, every Joseph in Scripture is a great guy. Just saying, that's really important to remember. Uh, every Joseph is great. And um, Barnabas' nickname was, uh, Joseph's nickname was Barnabas, and Barnabas means encourager. I mean, what a great nickname. You know, I've heard of people, you know, called Lefty or Shorty or whatever. Uh, his name was, hey, here comes the encourager. And Barnabas would come in and they would say, hey, the encourager's here. And Barnabas and Paul and a guy named John Mark, a young man, went on a first missionary trip and they planted churches. And it was difficult because people hadn't heard about Jesus before. And they would plant a church here and they would plant a church there and it got quite difficult in one stretch. And John Mark decided he had had enough and he abandoned the mission and came home. And Paul and Barnabas continued and they finished the journey and they came back and they were planning a bit later a second missionary trip. And they had a discussion around who should go. And Barnabas, being the encourager, being the one who wanted to give a second chance, said, I think we should take John Mark. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. Don't you remember last time we were out there and it got a little rough and he he abandoned us? And Barnabas was adamant. And I think this is a really interesting scripture. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. 
Paul's vision of the truth was, his version of the truth was, and this was true, it was true, his thinking was true, we can't trust John Mark because he abandoned us. We have evidence, I'm looking at the evidence, and the evidence stipulates, states that John Mark can't be trusted. That was true. Barnabas saw a different truth. Yes, Paul. However, this young man has grown, and I've seen some growth in his life, and what's the harm in taking him? Why don't we give him another chance? See, encouragers give people another chance. And by the way, Barnabas was right. John Mark eventually um, turned out to be uh, a great follower of Jesus. In fact, at the end of Paul's life, he calls for John Mark to bring, to bring him some stuff. They evidently had become friends. You be the, the guy that gives somebody the second chance and third chance, because we all need it. We all need that second and third chance. And here's a truth from Scripture. A word of encouragement does wonders. Last week I gave you homework. I said, hey, read a chapter in the Proverbs every day. And I know you all are doing it because you listen to me, and I have no doubt everybody's doing that. And good for you. I'm glad you're doing it. But there's a different homework for this week because everybody needs encouragement. So, you're going to encounter people this week. Yesterday, I was at Lowe's 12 times. I mean, I, I went back and forth. I was doing some projects. Uh, I encountered a lot of people. Be an encourager to people. Uh, I, I was walking out, and there was a guy, and he was loading something. I said, man, do you need help with that? And uh, uh, fortunately, he didn't. It was great. Uh, but I offered. You know, you make the offer. It's like, I'll get you somebody. You know, hey, dude, help this guy. Um, we live in a pretty critical world. It, it is amazing what a little encouragement can do. In fact, it does wonders, according to the Bible. If we're going to be truth-tellers, we want to do it in love. And we also want to be people that can take, we can accept criticism. Because we want to have a heart that's open to, look, as a pastor, I've been criticized for a lot of stuff. One Sunday morning... I, one Sunday morning, I got criticized for the uh, sanctuary being too cold and too hot. Same service. Um, so that was when I was really young in the ministry, and um, I didn't know what to do. You know, at, at, at some point, you have to understand, I can't please everybody. We're not going to please everybody. Some criticism, though, is accurate. And so you take it for what it's worth, and, and you consider the source, and you consider if it's true, and do you need to do something about it. It's okay. We, we need to be willing to listen. If I go to my doctor, I don't want him telling me just what I want to hear. Can you imagine going to the doctor and the doctor saying, Dude, you are a physical specimen. Uh, you're like an Olympian. Uh, you just go out there and do what you want to do. I mean, can you imagine that? And then like a week later, you have a heart attack and you go back and you say, Dude, uh, why didn't you tell me the truth? And the guy goes, Well... Um, you really, you're more like the Pillsbury Doughboy, and uh, you know you you really are in bad shape. But when I tell people the truth, they don't like it, and they seem to. It's not good for business. They don't want to come back, and I want this to be a safe place that you feel loved and accepted. I don't want the doctor telling me what I want to hear. I want the doctor telling me the truth. And the Bible says, "Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is there's a word. It's stupid." I wish they were a little more blunt. Whoever hates correction isn't very smart. 
So, you listen when people... Now, I think one of the reasons we don't offer critique sometimes is because not everybody accepts it well. Look at this text. Again, 3,000 years ago, uh, Solomon writes this, Don't rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Don't just tell people what they want to hear. And if they don't accept it, then you, you say, okay, I, did, I tried. I tried. And then you have to be okay with that. Being a follower of Jesus isn't about having everybody like you. I, I think we should be likable. We speak the truth in love. We're kind to people. I've got a neighbor, and um, the yard needs some attention. And I've got another neighbor, and many years ago, they, they worked on her yard, and, and she didn't thank them. And so they never helped her again. Do we help people because we're going to get praise or thanks, or do we help people because it's the right thing to do? And so we help people because it's the right thing to do. And it's not always, hey, I'm going to... This is going to be received well. This is a great verse. Don't rebuke mockers. They don't take it well. If you try to help somebody and they don't take it well, then maybe that's not the per You don't have the relationship. Okay. You've got to be wise with those things. Let me end with a story. There's this company, major company, and they were trying to hide, hire a new marketing director. And they had had hundreds of resumes, and they got down to the final three, and uh, the three came in, and they interviewed them one at a time. First one comes in, and they ask her, what is two plus two? And she thinks for a bit, and it's like, is this a trick question? I don't know exactly how to answer it, but she says, it's four. I said, thank you for your answer, and they usher her out. Second uh, person comes in, and they ask him, what's two plus two? And he thinks it's probably a trick question, so he eventually says, uh, it's a number between three and five. He's trying to be a little, you know, stealthy. And they thank him for his answer, and they usher him out. Third lady comes in, they ask her, what is two plus two? And without blinking, she says, what do you want it to be? And they hired her right away, but that's not the kind of friend you want to have. You want, you want people that will tell you the truth, and you want to be a person that will tell people the truth. And you do it lovingly, and you speak carefully, and you check your motives, and you craft your words, and you communicate affirmation. And you speak the truth, and you think before you speak, but you speak the truth and love, because let's go back to our verse that we started with. Intelligent people think before they speak. God's calling us to be truth tellers, but not jerks. Don't use truth as a, as a weapon. We speak the truth, and we speak the truth in love. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Proverbs, which is chock full of wisdom that is applicable for today. It's just amazing to me that something written that long ago makes sense for today. It's like you wrote it yesterday. Help us, Lord, to follow your guidance, to follow your way, to live by your standard. We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.